as the team evolves, your business evolves, right? And one of the things that we did in order to involve and engage employees in that growth process was very simple. From the first week, we had very interesting discussions of what it's like to work at a startup. In the interview process, we wanted to be mindful, very selective of the people that we let out, right? So obviously everybody has this fantasized and romanticized idea of what it's like to work in a startup. You get the free beer, you get the nap hots, you get the- Who doesn't want free beer? The, the swag. <laughs> right, right, who doesn't want a free beer, who doesn't want a, a cool t-shirt and all the, the company swag, right? There's the dark side that people don't mention about startups, which 90% of startups fail, right? Or even more, right? So the dark side for startups is that, yes, there's a lot of responsibility. There's a lot of things that need to be done in a short period of time. And people need to learn how to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations. Welcome back, friends, to another episode of Supercharged with Digital Marketer, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss everything related to entrepreneurship and how marketing is important for your business ventures. All right. Today, I'm super excited. And one of the reasons I'm super excited in this today's episode, we're going to be inviting one of my good friends, Gia, from all the way from Chicago, but he actually grew up in Colombia, which is really cool. And now he's working in a startup company. And today we're going to be talking about the topic of how to scale your team and manage growth and change. So Gia's going to break it down a little bit about himself and tell us how he's doing. And yeah, so Gia, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Kengu Kazuki. Very uh, honor and humble to be here. Awesome. And where are you based right now? I'm currently in Chicago. It's not cold yet, but we, I think we're getting there. I bet it's cold. Like I'm in Guatemala right now. Let's compare to that. It's freezing. <laughs> yeah, you get used yeah. to it, though. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Gia, well, thank you for coming to our podcast today. We're super excited to have you uh, hosted. This is our first initial questions, and I know audience will be curious to know who you are and what you do. So can you please tell us about yourself and tell us a little bit about your backgrounds and your current journey and your careers? Yeah, definitely. Hi, everybody. You know, my name is Gia, as you can mention. I'm originally from Colombia. I moved to the States in 2015. It's been a wonderful journey, eight years in the making right now. So currently I am the chief technology officer and the chief product officer here at Marquee. We specialize in basically a tool that allows any type of borrower to skip the application process. And in return, you know, we give the lender, the bank, wherever you are trying to get a loan from, we give all the information that is needed in order to make a credit decision. So originally this was a spinoff from another company that we built uh, called Redstone Funding. Redstone Funding is a mortgage fintech that specializes in a very niche product called non-QM. You know, I don't want to get into to add uh, to the intrinsicities of it, but it, non qm stands for non-qualified mortgages. So we basically cater self-employed borrowers, non-traditional W-2 income earners. So think of it as, you know, for example, Kazuki yourself, right, who runs, you know, your own gig on the side, uh, you're collecting income on a 1099 basis, or even if you own your own company, right, uh, your own digital marketing, it's really hard to underwrite to your needs because, you know, you have multiple 
income streams and obviously from an underwriting decision it's tough to qualify those borrowers so what we've done is we created the first uh tool in the space it's a cash flow analytics tool that provides basically cash flow underwriting so we can take all your income streams and uh you know we put it into our algorithms and then we verify and we provide an income you know based on all your income streams so I know it's a very niche product. It's not very common, but you know, we've seen the space, the space is growing and I've been very fortunate to learn, you know, from my team as also from the space, you know, had the chance to work with large use of securitizers, you know, Credit Suisse, Adley, uh, Veris, uh, among others. So yeah, that, that's a little bit about me. You know, I joined in 2020, right? Uh, in the midst of a pandemic, it was a great timing to join any company <laughs> and you know I was the third employee in the office so obviously when I came to the office and you know I was excited to see everybody and meet you know my colleagues and I realized that I was the third person and the office was empty right so it was an interesting time right so I've got to see it all you know we went from a team of three people all the way to 120 in about 18, call it 18 to 14 months. So it was a pretty interesting time to learn, especially, you know, today's topic when it comes to growth, right? We've had tremendous lessons when it comes to, to how to manage and scale companies. You know, we did a lot of mistakes, obviously, you know, we had a few wins as well. So yeah, that's a little bit about me and I'll kick it back to you, I guess. You know, I gotta be honest, like when you started joining, there was only three people, just including you, that's crazy. You know, it's like, it feels so different when it comes to like empty spaces and then all of a sudden there's a hundred people. So I'm really, really curious, like how did it start in, for you in the career journey and how did you begin your career in the first place? And what's the major journey change or even a change you've seen in a current startup since the day one. I know you already mentioned, you know, 120 people, but would love to know more, a little bit more details of, you know, that crazy journey. And why did you end up in the interesting, most uncommon <laughs> business area? So I'm really curious to know about, yeah, just a little bit of your journey as well, but at the same time, like, how did you end up in the first place? That is a great question, Kazuki. I was never intended to work in startups, to be honest. I've always wanted to be a hedge fund manager. That was primarily my ultimate goal, right? So just to backtrack a little bit, I remember when I was in school, I had a very good mentor. He was a professor. He was the economics professor, actually. He used to be a bond trader at Franklin, I think. And, you know, part of my journey to become a hedge fund manager, I asked him for some advice and he said, you know, you can either do two things right? If you want to become a hedge fund manager, you can either learn physics and get a PhD in physics, or you can join the debt side, right? Work with debt products instead of, you know, getting a PhD in physics. So I follow his advice of, yes, I know. Obviously I'm not smart enough to get a PhD in physics. You know, it's, it's funny that, that you mentioned because uh, at the beginning of my life, I obviously despise physics, right? And the more I look into it, the more I like it, right? It's amazing, you know, how much it's amazing how everything that surrounds us is constructed, right? So anyways, back to my experience uh, in terms of joining a the credit side, right? I was never intended to work in a company that dealt with credit products. So instead, my initial goal at the beginning was always join the buy side, which, uh, you know, mostly 
on the equity side, right? So I wanted to be a hedge fund manager. I wanted to beat the market, find opportunities where others or find value where others would not see it, right? So I began my career mostly in the financial space. I had the opportunity, the, I was lucky enough to build a good network of financial you know, professionals in the Bay Area. And I had the Basically, because of legal things when it comes to the visa, I didn't go to your traditional path of, hey, let's go to an investment bank, let's spend two years on an analyst, maybe get promoted to an associate position, and then from there, you know, move on to private equity, right? So I started my career in private equity. I skipped the two years of IB and worked for a fund in San Francisco, which, you know, managed over $2 billion of assets under management. And it was a great experience because kind of introduced me to the tech world. So the fund was primarily focused on, you know, different verticals, but, you know, we, we explored everything that came into our desk. So had a lot of, uh, I had to immerse myself in a lot of different industries that I've never thought that existed, right? So some of them might be manufacturing, semiconductor, nanotechnology, things like that, digital transformation. So I had to I had the opportunity to basically learn how companies work, right? How capital was raised. I think that a lot of people, for example, they go into, let's say you want to trade a stock, right? You want to evaluate the financials of it. Well, you also have to understand other things lead to those financial results that you're looking for, right? So got to learn a lot how companies, you know, dealt with their supply chain, dealt with their vendors and the different pain points that, you know, they had to experience with uh, these things, right? So it kind of expands your mind when it comes to how technology companies work in the back end, right? I think that everybody sees the glamorous front side, you know, they see the glamorous ad and they see the glamorous video and, and, and all the cool stuff that they're offering. But at the end of the day, you know, once you peel the onion, right, and you start looking at how things work in the back, you realize that often companies are very, very complex, right? And not two companies are the same. So it was pretty interesting to get exposure on that. After that, you know, after my private equity experience, I joined a startup that was part of 500 startups in San Francisco. And that was my true, true immersion to the startup world. Uh, why? Because physically I had to work in the co-working space that was shared by 500 startups. So I was working with all these all this, uh, interesting startups and founders from all over the world. So I got to meet, you know, founders from, from Brazil and from Argentina and from Africa and from Europe. And they were all bringing all these ideas, you know, to market. My, my startup specifically was in the manufacturing space. It was a supply chain startup, you know, got to learn about, a lot about manufacturing actually. Really? And manufacturing, why? Things <laughs> like that. It, I don't, uh, yeah, it's a big jump from going to from, from finance to manufacturing, is uh, especially because uh, the software that we used to sell was primarily for manufacturing companies, right? So I got to learn a little bit about that, and it was pretty interesting. But what I really want to emphasize is, is the fact that, you know, it was the experience and it was surrounding myself with founders and like-minded individuals that really got me into liking startups, right? And, you know, as part of, you know, any, any uh, incubator uh, you go through, right? You get to learn a lot about sales, a lot about marketing, how to scale products, how to find product market fit, how to raise capital, when is the right time to raise capital, how to create, you know, frictionless experiences, right? How does your UI affect your UX and vice versa? So 
that creative process in the startup world really, really got to me. And that's when I started experimenting with startups, right? Obviously, we, you and I, you know, we've known each other for, for quite a few years now. We, we experimented with our own startup, right? And to me, that was very gratifying. So from that experience, I joined another company called Umana. Umana is basically a venture capital firm that focuses on celebrity funds. So it was interesting to see uh, different funds that were out there that were mainly held by celebrities, right? So uh, one of our LPs, with, which later become our GP, was uh, Adrian Grainer. No. Uh, as you might see him on Entourage. Yeah. He was the cook that played, he was the one that played the cook in the Double Wars Prada, you know, Anne Hathaway's boyfriend. So... Got to work a little bit on different things. It was really interesting because they had a house of funds and they had over, I think about five to seven funds and each fund would have its own theme, right? So uh, we had a fund dedicated especially for CPG, others for uh, FinTech, uh, blockchain. We had others dedicated for Frontier and et cetera, et cetera. So worked with a lot of cool funds. You know, we had interactions with Serena Ventures, right? She's very active in the VC space right now. Dreamers VC, you know, which was co-founded by uh, Will Smith, right? He's also very active in the VC space right now. Didn't get to work with Aston Kutcher, but, um, you know, hopefully one day. And worked with the Spider Ventures, which is, you know, Anderson Silva, you know, Ventures. So I got myself immersed in all these deals that were pretty fun. You know, our, we had a lot of deal flow coming in and... We will review, you know, decks and decks and decks and decks. And, and it was just so much innovation, so much creativity out there from multiple founders and their backgrounds, right? So that got me really exciting in, in the startup world. Just the amount of innovation, the amount of diverse founders that came up with cool ideas and disrupting ideas, right? And I wanted to be really part of that. So up to this point, right, my experience has been primarily on the financial side. So I worked at private equity, right? I worked at VC. Yes, I had some time at a startup, but I didn't have like hands-on approach to a startup. I wasn't involved in the weeds. I wasn't really, I didn't get my hands dirty when it comes to building a startup, you know, getting it to grow and things like that. So when I graduated from my master's, you know, I had to make a decision whether I will be moving to San Francisco or New York or whatnot. So the initial plan obviously was always to go to the hedge fund side, Right. So as, as I mentioned earlier, I was going to be a head fund manager. And I remember the advice that my professor gave me. So I was on LinkedIn. I saw the post for capital markets. And uh, luckily enough, it had the two things that I wanted. It, it was a startup, right? It was a new company, very fresh. And it was also a company that offered some type of, you know, fixed income product, in this case, non-qualified mortgages, where I could really learn the debt world, the credit world, and understand how the world moves, right? So not to get very fancy here or not to get very, you know, into the weeds, but the world runs on securization, right? The world runs in debt. Like, uh, I don't know what's the American debt right now. I think it's like 30 trillion dollars or something like that, right? So understanding how securization works, understanding how debt products of structure, it allowed me to gain more insights into how the world really works when it comes to the financial world. And on top of that, obviously working in a startup, you get to learn a little bit of everything, right? So one of the big lessons that I had at Reston is, is the importance of securitization, right? Everything that has been created around us has been in, in some sort of 
has been created because you know they managed to create a product, a debt product that allowed you know capital formation, right? So for example, we'll talk about a cell phone contracts, right? Ability to pay monthly for your iPhone, you know, 50 bucks a month, 40 bucks a month, whatnot, right? Instead of purchasing for full price, right? That's a securitizable product, right? So I don't want to go into the details because, you know, we'll spend all night here, but I was very fortunate to join a startup that offered both, right? It offered me the ability to work on a startup and build things from scratch and also expand my knowledge in the credit markets and have a more holistic approach when looking at financial markets. Wow. I mean, I gotta be honest, like you've been through so much to get to this point where, you know, you're working on a current startup and I know like, before we jump into actually moving to the next question, I'm actually curious, have you actually met any celebrities? <laughs> no, that was uh, mostly the general partners who, who uh, do that. Any autograph? Ah, uh, no. Damn it. Wow. I mean, I bet that, uh, you know, the general managers probably have some signs on their t-shirts. Who wouldn't want to get a Will Smith's <laughs> signatures on a t-shirt? <laughs> I mean, yeah, sorry to disappoint. Yeah, I mean, the latest venture that I actually invested myself was, it's a company called TBH, and it was founded by, so Umana has this venture studio where, you know, they build companies from going up. So uh, we invested in a company that was founded by Noah Schwabs, I think is how it's pronounced. Yeah, his name is the guy from- Stranger Things. Uh, right? It's Stranger Things, correct. It's Stranger Things. So he created this sort of like hazelnut spread that obviously is, is more healthy because it has significant lower amount of, of sugar and it has more sustainable, you know, elements to it, right? It has healthier ingredients and it has more sustainable packaging. And basically, you know, that's what they're doing right now. So haven't met Noah yet, but hopefully I will someday. Yeah, you better see him one day. <laughs> All right, well, let's jump into a little bit more to details on our topic of the titles today but i'm actually curious throughout all of your experiences how does your approach scaling up your current team i know you mentioned already three people to 120 people to be honest that's a lot so i would love to know a little bit more how you approach those scaling of the team and what was the dem in terms of like the growing demands of your growing uh, businesses so how did you really Im get involved in this whole process and how does you get the whole employees to get engaged and keeping up with the growing process or another word growth process so we'd love to know a little bit more about how does you approach it how does you engage with the team and how does that affect the whole process and how do they impact it and the growth and scaling up your team overall that was uh that was a very interesting journey you know yes as we mentioned you know we we grew the company from three people in the office all the way to to 120 in about 12 to to 14 months, and it was a it was a challenge. It was a big challenge, but luckily we had already expected that growth, right? So the past two years, for those who know about the mortgage industry, right, that was the biggest refi boom in the mortgage industry. We've seen rates so low for the last you know 40 years, I guess. So mortgage rate was was about two and a half percent, which is insanely insanely cheap so for those who refinance their mortgage or got a new mortgage at two and a half or three percent good job to you because that's a really great financial decision so as you imagine right we the whole industry was booming right we had a, a massive influx of people trying to refinance their mortgages or even buy a new mortgage so the growth was expected from day one however 
what was not expected is how do we how do we scale the team and how do we make sure that you know the team also grows with as the business grows right so that was the biggest challenge for us and obviously maintaining people involved right so we were at a very interesting point because we were a startup and we had startup mentality but we didn't want to consider ourselves and we were also a financial you know uh, institution call it a mortgage lender right so we didn't want to categorize ourselves as a mortgage lender we wanted to be our startup that specializes in mortgage lending, right? Because when it comes to the culture and the type of mindset, it's totally different, right? The people that work at financial institutions and investment banks and things like that, they have a certain way of executing things. They have a certain way of looking at life. They have a certain way of understanding the business and what it needs to be done. And on the other side, you know, you got the startups, the rebels, the outlaws that are trying to disrupt. Right. So it was a very interesting to be in the middle. And we went obviously for the startup version. We wanted to be primarily working in a place where we just simply had fun doing it. Right. So we used to say, you know, if you love what you're doing, you're never going to have to work a day again. Right. It's just shows to prove that, you know, we wanted to create an environment that was very, very creative, that was, uh, you know, executing, that was making projects and simply having fun. So when we're discussing about our culture, one of the things, you know, it, I remember the story perfectly. I stayed li- uh, late one night working on a couple of reports and my CEO, he also stayed with me. Uh, we ordered some some Japanese and then we just started, we just started discussing, right? We just started discussing about books that we have encountered in our lives. So we came across a book that we both read. It's called Principles by Ray Dalio, which is a phenomenal book that I recommend to anybody that it's not just trying to start a startup, but found a startup, but uh, anybody who just wishes to understand the business world, understand a little more about yourself and your team. And, you know, uh, the whole premise of, of the book is called Principles, right? So you should have certain principles in your life and those principles will guide you through success, right? So very, very interesting book. I highly recommend it. Ray Dalio is a very successful hedge fund manager. Right? I think they're number one right now. I think over a hundred billion under management. So obviously, you know, he knows what he's talking about, right? So in the book, in the book, I'm going to jump straight to the book, right? In the book, he talks about two concepts that basically led our organizational culture. The first one is something that we used to call, or he calls, an idea meritocracy, where the best ideas win, right? So it was very simple, right? It it didn't matter where if you were an analyst, a first year analyst, or were you or you were the CEO of the company, right? What ultimate matter was the ideas that you bring to the table, right? At the end of the day, startups run on ideas, and we made this very clear from the beginning because we did not want to go into a corporate structure with all the rep tape and all the seniority and all the office politics. We wanted to remove all of that and we just wanted to cultivate a place where people share ideas, ideas that are value, ideas that matters, ideas that are focused on the mission and the vision, and ideas that are focused on improving the process. In order to have that, there's a second element Ray Dalio mentions is this thing called having a radical transparency, right? So having radical transparency is very important to sustain that idea of meritocracy. What do you mean by radical transparency, right? It's the idea, it's the ability to discuss ideas freely without 
emotions getting involved, without egos getting involved, right? Because sometimes you get, you know, in, a, in the heat of the conversation, you know, sometimes your egos come in and sometimes, you know, just because you had, just because you have 20 years of experience, right? It doesn't mean that you might be smarter than the first year analyst who just got out of college, right? And vice versa, right? So having those egos, having those basically labels, you know, get out of the door, allow us to discuss ideas in, in a more fluent manner, right? In a more efficient manner. So that's the first thing, right? That allows us to basically approach the notion of scaling our team effectively, right? So that was pretty much a foundational basis, right? It was the first layer of our culture uh, that we knew that we had to create in order to make the team grow. Right. So our team was, I'm going to go a little bit into our onboarding and training process. Right. It was very interesting because for the first week, they learned a lot of things that had nothing to do related to their specific day to day task. Right. So everybody, regarding whether you're an analyst or a VP or whatever, any position, they will go through the same process. Right, the same training, the same interview style, the same questions, the same task, everything in the first week. Right. So it was interesting because we needed to multiply ourselves. And what I do what do I mean by that? I think that when you are a founder in an early stage startup and you need to grow and execute quick, your number one job is to multiply yourself. And how do you multiply yourself as a co-founder or as a founder, right? You need to make sure that your people get trained on the different things that, you know, that make successful a startup founder, right? So everybody in your core team, right, whether your first initial five to 10 people, they all should be very intimate and they all should learn the principles of being an entrepreneur. So that's what if that's essentially what we did. We taught people how to be entrepreneurs. We taught people how to think like CEOs. We taught people how to think like executives. Because when you cultivate that from day one, then you're gonna see better results as your team progresses and evolves, right? Because obviously everybody has their own growth journey, right? But if you manage to cultivate those principles from the get-go, people will make faster and smarter decisions. People will perform better and people will meet the demands of your growing business. So, you know, the first day was all about mindset. You know, typically in the first week of onboarding, uh, people go uh, talk about, I know, here's a printer, here's, uh, here's how you get paid, here's how you send an email, here's how you store, right? All these intricacies when it comes to SOPs. We didn't have any of that. We're like, nope, that's not, that's not for us. We wanted to create, we wanted to hit the main points that matter to us. Right. So first day was all about mindset. Right. Uh, we actually encourage people to read the book Principles by Ray Dalio. But we make sure that it was a task that we watched the tech talk that Ray Dalio, you know, has on, on YouTube. Right. So book longer form was not mandatory, but the tech talk was obviously mandatory. It is it's to instill those principles from the get go. So as the week progresses, right, people learn about marketing, people learn about the different departments that are in the company, right? People learn about account management, about sales, about finances, about technology, and basically have a 360 degree view of the entire company and what it's like to be a startup, right? So, and at the end of the first week, right, uh, we will meet every Friday and the new, uh, the new hires would have to present to the company what went well during the first week, 
what went bad and you know what are the things that we can improve what are the things that need to be added so it was a constant and repetitive process of you know constant iteration so obviously the first batch of people that you hire had horrible presentations right six months later everybody was awesome at presenting in the first week and it's because combination of all these little lessons that we've learned along the way that by month six right the person that will join would have much more resources to learn from than they want right so that was made on purpose because we wanted to get people used to changing and adapting quick right so it was very important for us to basically cultivate that CEO mindset. It was interesting because during that Friday meetings, we would provide constructive criticism to the people that presented, and we would talk about things that they might have not expected, right? So things like, you know, we, we would provide feedback on, on your posture, on your intonation, on, your, on the way you present, on the, the way that the deck is presented, the flow of the deck, even the design, right? even which icons to choose. We were very, very into the weeds. And this is something that was not just done by me, but you know, um, the CEO also took a part of this and all the, the other executives also took part of this, right? We really wanted to provide as much as feedback as we could in, in one or two hours on a Friday. And we did that for a reason, all right? We, we didn't want it difficult, right? We're not perfectionists, right? It's not because we wanted you know, the best pitch and the best deck, right? We did that to show people that, you know, how you do something is how you do everything, right? And we live by that model. So it doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be doing a single presentation from a client or you could be doing, I don't know, a final report, you know, to your senior management, right? Everything that you do reflects on your work, right? So how you do something is how you do everything. So it was very important for us to provide that lesson from the day, from the get-go. Obviously, you know, the tough part was maintaining that momentum right obviously in the first week everybody's excited it's a new job people are eager to learn but 90 days after right like how does that interaction look you know for the employee right how do you provide constant opportunities for learning growth right so that was another challenge that we had so uh we did very specific things for that you know we on tuesdays and thursdays we had something called lunch and learns right where for 30 minutes everybody will just leave their day-to-day task so for 30 minutes you know whatever you're doing just stop there pause there grab your lunch let's meet you know together in a conference room uh, if you're online obviously join through the call and we'll discuss something that will make you better right so sometimes we did entrepreneurship cases right we study companies like blockbuster and netflix and what they did well and what they could have done better, right? We sometimes did productivity tools, right? Like how can you manage better your time, your email, your calendar? What are some tools that might help you, you know, automate your task, right? So that 30 minutes was obviously a break from the mortgage world, right? It was 30 minutes to grab your lunch, get a break from the mortgage world, but also learn something new that could improve your life, right? We had a longer format discussion which was every thursday after work so after work we will get together for about one two or three hours we'll order lunch to the office and we'll discuss we'll choose a topic and we'll dissect it in that meeting so there's a lot of cool topics that we discussed mainly primarily obviously primarily focus on entrepreneurship and startups and 
and the things that we really wanted to accomplish, right? So we talked about network effects. We talked about blitz scaling. We talked about product market fit. We talked about what makes a successful MVP. We talked about when to raise, how to raise, right? What are the type of deals that you raise, right? For uh, what's the difference between a seed round and a serious aid, right? So all these things that entrepreneurs should know, we want our team to also know, right? Because we were creating, we're multiplying ourselves, right? At the end of the day. So that was our approach to scaling the team. And as the team, you know, evolves, you know, your business evolves, right? And one of the things that we did in order to involve and engage employees in that growth process was very simple. From the first week, we had very interesting discussions of what it's like to work at a startup, right? So in the interview process, we wanted to be mindful and we wanted to be very selective of the people that we let out, right? So obviously everybody has this fantasized and romanticized idea of what it's like to work in a startup. You get the free beer, you get the nap hot, you get the- Who doesn't want free beer? The, the swag. <laughs> right, right, who doesn't want a free beer, who doesn't want a, a cool t-shirt and all the, the company swag, right? But it is, there's the dark side that people don't mention about startups, which, you know, startups are very complicated, right? Uh, I think it's, uh, I forgot who said that, but like 90% of startups fail, right? Or even more, right? So the dark side for startups is that, yes, there's a lot of responsibility. There's a lot of things that need to be done in a short period of time. And people need to learn how to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations, right? So it demands a whole new set of skills that perhaps the corporate world doesn't offer, right? When you're working for a 10 people startup, it's extremely different than working for a 50,000 people corporation, right? So having those expectations from the get-go was very important to engage the employer from day one, right? We, we told them, you know what? It's okay to be a nine to five, right? It's okay to, that you're, whole priority is to grab the check, clock in, clock out, and then live your life. It's totally fine, right? And we respect that. But we wanted to be surrounded by like-minded individuals that put in the effort, put in the hours, that understood the vision, that understood that in order to build something great, it takes time, it takes dedication, it takes commitment, right? Rome was not built in a day. And we needed to instill that metric from day one, right? I think, uh, you know, people say that startups are like like cults, right? Like a cult. And in reality, it's kind of true, right? Because everybody's in the same wavelength. Everybody understands, you know, that it, it doesn't take just minimal effort to grow a startup from nothing all the way to unicorn status, right? There's a lot of things that are involved. There's a lot of challenges and a lot of obstacles that you have to overcome in a startup. So we really wanted our core team to know that. So in order to do this effectively, right, we discuss the expectations of being a startup employee and what your real job is to be at a startup, right? Your job at a startup is not to come in and do your day-to-day, right? That is not your job. That is the thing that pays the bills. That's it, right? Your real job at a startup is to come in Learn the job as best as you can possibly can. Document your job so you can train the next person that is going to replace you, right? And along that training, figure out how much can you automate 
from your tedious manual day-to-day task, right? Train your next hire and move on to a position where you require a new set of skills that meets the demand of the clients and the business. So it's an ongoing learning process for employees of both as responsibility grows, right? So it's interesting because from day one, your main job was primarily to document the job, do it very well, automate it as much as possible, and then hire somebody else to do it and then move on to the next thing. That's how you grow in a startup, right? Especially I think that a lot of people, you know, don't understand how much responsibility you have when it comes to to working in a startup, right? If you're working for a 50,000 people corporation, the moment you leave, there's going to be a replacement, right? But if you're intimate, small team of five people, right? Or let's use the, the analogy of a tripod, right? You have three legs. If one leg leaves, the whole thing collapses, right? That's how much responsibility you have in a startup, especially when you're employee number four, employee number five, all the way up to, I'll say, employee number 10 or employee number 15, your responsibility is tremendous, right? So it's important that you lay those foundations uh, from the get-go. You train your people to think like CEOs, to think like entrepreneurs, and basically constantly give them information so they can learn and iterate and you know do a trial and error so they can then grow as the business grows. You know, it's really profound how you guys manage through this whole rapid growth by building, you know, cultures and also as well as teaching them to think like an entrepreneur. But I'm actually quite curious because obviously startups itself has a, you know, less life, obviously, like the circle of life goes just like a roller coaster. You go ups and downs and obviously it's not always perfect. So I'm actually quite curious because when it comes to startup, like every startup is so different. So did you have any experience like having people, you know, resist from your, you know, culture or any of the trainings? Have you ever experienced any pushbacks or from any of your team members? I'll say, you know, in the beginning, every company goes through phases, right? Our initial phase, I'll say we didn't have any resistance or any pushback because we did a great job from the get-go to select and cherry pick the people that we wanted to have in our core team, right? So we were very hands-on in interviews. Everybody will be in interviews, you know, CEO himself included. He'll be part of the interview and we made collective decision as a group, right? So if somebody didn't like a person or didn't think that, you know, either their skill set or, or their mindset or whatnot, whatever the reason is, right, did not fit into our culture, then that would have been an immediate no. So from the beginning, we would be very, very hands-on on the on the hiring process, right? Because as, as your company starts growing, right, it becomes more formalized. It becomes more structured. There's more red tape. There's more business politics, right? It's inevitable. Things uh, that, that eventually happens, right? So as the startup grows, you have more specific roles, right? You have, uh, you know, you start with a startup with a bunch of generalists that can perform in different fields, right? And as the company grows, uh, and passes a certain point, right? Then you have people that only specialize in sales, only specialize in, in account management, only specialize in operations, right? So you lose that personal touch and you lose that intimacy. So we were very, very, very cognizant of that. And from the get-go again, you know, I keep mentioning the word get-go, right? But from the beginning, we made sure that we had that core team that understood basically what they were into. 
obviously as you grow, right, there are going to be always bad apples uh, that do not fit your company's vision and mission, right? And I think that one of the things that founders need to do is to make hard decisions from the beginning, right? We've had multiple mistakes where, you know, we knew personally that that person was not a right fit, right? But we didn't take action soon enough, right? So it is very important, especially for early stage founders, that you protect the environment that you have, right? You protect the ecosystem and the and basically this culture that you've created. And sometimes, yes, it sucks to fire somebody. It sucks to to let go of people that you know you you personally might like them on a personal level, right? But you know that you know they're not contributing what they're supposed to contribute to the startup, right, and to the journey of the company. So making those tough decisions from early on is very important for founders to you know, to eliminate those bad apples, right? Well, I'm not saying that just because you have a pushback or resistance, you know, you should fire that person. No, I'm not saying that, right? We have plenty of fights back in the day, right? We have plenty of resistance. We have plenty of pushback. But ultimately, was about ideas, was about operations, was about how to execute certain things. They were very trivial and they were not transcendent, right? If somebody comes in and, you know, challenges you on how to do things, great. You should keep that person, obviously, right? That is a keeper. But if somebody comes in and challenges the mindset and the vision and, you know, there's a difference between providing constructive criticism, right? And there's a reason because of, uh, between just, you know, being... A difficult person and if you're not aligned with the team if you're not aligned with uh, the culture if you're not aligned with the product if you're not aligned with any of that if any of that does not resonate with you then you're definitely in the wrong place right and sometimes you know founders need to acknowledge that and they need to make those decisions you know those top choices uh, those top decisions from from early on you know it's kind of ironic but it's kind of like a relationship isn't it <laughs> it is i think that I don't know. They say that uh, choosing your business partner is like getting married, right? And that also counts for, you know, your your executives, right? When you're choosing your your BPs or your your C levels, it is a relationship because you're gonna be working most of the time, right? Like if you think about it, like you spend a third of a life sleeping and a third of life working, right? So you gotta choose carefully who who you surround yourself. Yeah, like I gotta be honest, like I just got married recently, and you know. It's kind of exactly the same. Like it's kind of like you see sometimes fight, but communication is the key, and you know, like it's it's that roller roller cycle. Roll, oh, sorry, roller coaster, not a roller cycle. What is that? <laughs> you know, roller coaster of everything. So, <laughs> so it's, it's really interesting. Well, yeah, I'm gonna wrap up this episode with a final question. So for those listening to our podcast today, I'm curious to see what if you have any advice that you would give to those other leaders who's listening to this podcast or any other people maybe looking into, you know, joining a startup. Do you have any particular advice that you can give so they can understand how they can grow professionally also for their companies? Right. I'm going to kind of like divide this into two parts, right? The first part is for everyone who wants to join a startup, right? My number one advice is be you. Be yourself, you know, Keep in mind that this is not a corporate world, right? Don't suit up for your interview. It's simply not the culture, right? Keep it casual. Keep it, keep it, uh, you know, business casual. 
and simply be yourself, right? Figure out a way to stand out. It's not your traditional, you know, oh, I came from a target school, I come from Harvard, these are my 25,000 impressive internships uh, that I've done, and this is a picture of, of me with, you know, the CEO of Goldman Sachs, right? At the end of the day, it, all of that doesn't really matter in the startup world. It's simply your desire to, you know, put in the work to be a place where you make an impact, right? Where uh, your ideas can be heard, your ideas can be challenged. And, you know, it's a lot of work, right? But it's it's a very gratifying experience. So my number one advice for those who wants to go into startup world, right, is please uh, first figure out what you really want, right? And figure out if the startup that you're applying for is actually something that you're really interested in or not, right? Because at the end of the day, that's what's gonna, you know, keep you going, right? So there's a lot of challenges. Be ready to put in the hours, be ready to put in the work. And the number one advice is learn or be ready or learn how to be uncomfortable or how to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations, right? Because you'll encounter many of them. So that's on the on the on the on the job side, right? If you if you wish to 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 go into the startup world, uh, on the other side, you know, I think that uh, one of the one of the three lessons, you know, I, I've learned multiple lessons, but if I could give three to founders uh, that are starting their journey, right, will be, you know, first uh, hire the right people, you know, with the right mindset and the right reason to be, right in. In our interview questions, we will ask things like, what makes you wake up and keep going? What motivates you? What are you passionate about? What are you frustrated with, right? What is something that you want to disrupt, right? Why do you want to come to a company that nobody knows about, that you're going to be underpaid, that your chance of getting rich is upside equity in about 10 years, right? When when the company goes IPO, you're not going to get a... A, a six-figure bonus, right, uh, compared to, you know, going to other uh, industries like banking or, or management or uh, management consulting, right? So hire the right people, hire them with the right mindset and the right reasons to join a startup, right? The second thing is learn how to fail fast and learn how to iterate quickly. Your rate of experimenting things should be significantly higher in your early days because as your company grows, right, you will not have the chance to make as many mistakes as possible, right? Things get more structured. So it's important that from day one, you learn how to fail fast, you learn how to iterate quickly, and you learn how to increase the intensity and the speed when it comes to experimenting on on different things, right? And the best way to do it is by doing things that don't scale. Uh, that's a very, a very common phrase in the startup world, right? Do things that do not scale, right? Because when you get your hands dirty in in doing multiple things that don't scale, you can figure out what works, what doesn't, what you can automate, what you can streamline, et cetera, et cetera. So learn how to fail fast and learn how to iterate quickly by doing things that don't scale, right? And the third thing that I'll mention is, you know, life is too short to be unhappy. So gamify the process and operate in two-week sprints, right? You have 40 hours a week where you spend it in the office, right? Does it mean that you are productive those 40 hours a week? Absolutely no, right? You have your coffee break, you have lunch break, right? So you need to be very self-aware of how you manage your time, right? Uh, how do your team manage their time? So 
coming up with a structure where you can gamify your process and operate in two weeks sprints, it's very, very important because that allows you enough time to, you know, spend some time, you know, that allows that, that two week sprint allows you to to come up with projects, come up with experiments, try them, fail, evaluate, iterate, right? And then move on to the next two week sprint. So you have to gamify the process, right? You have an X amount of hours a week, you know, a portion of it will be for your day-to-day task to keep the run- the business running, obviously, right? X amount of time for personal growth and X amount of time for projects where either add value to your current position or add value to the future position or add value to the company, right? So I'll say those are the three things, right? Hire the right people, learn how to fail fast and just gamify the process. That will be my, my, my three things. Awesome. Well, that, my friends, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks so much to Gia for joining us during this amazing episode. And we are super happy that you, you know, joined us for this episode and talked to us about the topic of how to scale a team as well as managing growth and change. So we hope that you found this really valuable. You learned something from what does it mean to working in a startup as well as how to scale it more effectively for your startup. And and I hope that was beneficial to you. And as always, thanks for listening to our podcast. And if you enjoy our show, please follow and rate and review us on Apple Podcast. Pick up the